This podcast discusses instances of abuse as well as violence. So this is a quick reminder to take care of yourself. Hello, and welcome to this month's episode of Love Is Not. Thank you for joining us. We've got a bit of a special episode, kind of a twofer for y'all this this month. We are joined by the incredible Julia Saladino from Women's Law, an organization based out in Washington, D.C. Women's Law offers services and legal resources to women, but also any individual who needs any legal assistance when it comes to situations Um, involving domestic or relationship abuse. And we are also, here's the two for part, going to be analyzing a relationship in a very popular romantic film. And what happens if a cop comes? You die. What? Just relax. Just trust. You need to learn how to trust. We will be looking at... The Notebook and the relationship between Noah and Allie through the lens of women's law, if someone were to approach with that situation, asking for legal advice. So really excited to share that with you. Now we'll jump into my conversation with Julia. Hello, welcome to this month's episode of Love Is Not. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on today. Julia, we'd love for you to take it away, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you and the work that you do. Um, So yes, again, I'm Julia Saladino. Um, I am a senior staff attorney with the Women's Law Project, um, which is a project of the National Network to End Domestic Violence. On this project, we try to make laws accessible to survivors of domestic violence. And the way we do that is basically through our website, womenslaw.org, where we basically look at state statutes and condense them into plain language. And we really focus on laws that impact survivors of domestic violence. So we look at state restraining order laws, but we also look at custody, um, child support and divorce laws in each state. We have Mm -hmm. some federal legal information, so immigration laws, we have some information about that. So as lawyers, we're really just diving into each state statute and trying to make it in a language that a lay person can understand because I've been a lawyer for 10 years and a lot of times I look at the statutes and I'm like, oh, I'm not totally sure what that says. Great. (laughs) Glad laws are written that way. Exactly. So it's it's not really accessible to a lot of people. Um, The other way that we provide legal information to survivors um, is through our legal email hotline. So um, on the hotline, a person can write in confidentially and ask a question about their legal case or looking for referrals or information or anything like that. And um, it's a national hotline. It's available in English and Spanish. And then um, a lawyer or a law student, but all emails are reviewed by a lawyer before they Mm -hmm. go out, will respond. And our job is to give legal information. Mm -hmm. And our hope is that by pointing people to the right resources and the right information will kind of help them at least get a better idea of next steps for their situation. So that's Women's Law. Um, I've been with the project for almost six and a half years. And before that, I also um, litigated um, representing survivors of domestic violence in court. 
Yeah. Wow. Your career is so incredible and impressive of helping people who are in such a vulnerable position. I'm curious of like what a typical person who reaches out to you looks like at, at women's law. Obviously, women is in the name. So I'm assuming, you know, most of the folks that do reach out are women um, identifying and curious just to hear of, you know, of what you can disclose of, of what those outreaches look like. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we try not to collect much personally identifying information that we do answer every email. So it doesn't matter the gender of the person asking the question, but the name did come out of the fact that most um, victims of domestic violence, sexual assault and stalking are women um, Mm -hmm. who report. And so um, that's where the name came from. But we we certainly respond to everyone. Um, But most of the emails that we get are from women. And, you know, it's from all over the country. And a lot of times they are asking questions about restraining orders or Mm -hmm. maybe asking if what they're experiencing is abuse. Um, But we get a lot of questions about custody. We get questions from mothers who are really want to flee the state with their children and are wondering if that's legal. So yeah, right. we hear we hear from a wide variety of people. Yeah, I'm curious too, especially, you know, given some of the studies and data that's been put out um, around the pandemic too of of what it looked like at women's law when that started a lot of like the domestic violence hotline had like a huge influx. Um, and I'm curious if that was also seen at, at your organization. Yeah, we, I mean, we've certainly heard that all the hotlines are just overloaded during this time. Um, we really don't advertise ourselves as a crisis hotline because it mm-hmm. takes us a moment to get through all of the emails. And most of the time, yeah. we're not able to respond to people immediately. We, we try to guarantee a response between one to five business days, but we have limited capacity. We're just a few attorneys on staff. So mm-hmm. the other thing is that we also have to close the hotline when it you know, is at capacity. So wow. I mean, yeah. I can definitely describe a situation where I have a toddler, so I make up some work hours on the weekend and I, and I manage the hotline. So I check on it on the weekends. And um, there was one weekend where like, I was like, oh, it, it's an okay number. I'll just leave it open for the rest of the weekend. And then on Monday morning, we had like 75 emails in there. Wow. And so, so yeah, I think if we were open 24-7, we probably would see just like a huge number coming in. Um, but mm. I will say that our hotline's our very busy. Like it's really, yeah. we kind of reach our limit every few days or every couple days where we need to um, close for at least a little while to catch up. Um, And, you know, we wish we didn't have to do that, but we're kind of, like you mentioned, we're just human beings with our own capacity as well. Yeah. I can imagine those moments of like that influx of of closing that hotline. And that's a lot. You have a very taxing and very important job. And as you said, like this is so niche and it's so interesting to me, like especially as someone who experienced, you know, relationship abuse, but never really even considered the legal side until after. Yeah. It's really, you know, unique to get your perspective and to kind of transition into another part of why we're super stoked to have you on the show is as uh, a lot of listeners probably have caught on, the Love Is Not team loves to analyze relationships that we see in the media. And we've actually pulled some of our social followers on like, what relationship should we look into and how should we do it? We decided as a team, and Julia was gracious enough to, to also participate in this, of writing a sample letter from the perspective of Allie from The Notebook. Julia and I will go through and 
and chat those reactions on what she might do in in advising somebody like Allie. Dear Women's Law, Many people think I have the perfect relationship, but my boyfriend's intensity scares me. When I first met Noah, he was charming, but intense. He asked me out while he was dangling from a Ferris wheel and threatened to let go if I didn't say yes. After pressuring me into our first date, he encouraged me to lie down in the street at night by teasing me, saying that, quote, I never do what I really want to. When a car zoomed by, I laughed, but we both nearly died. Throughout all the excitement, I still fell madly in love with him. We fight a lot in our relationship, and we've both made mistakes. I've hit him, pushed him away, and then begged him to come back. Now I'm sick of fighting, but he says that's what we do. He says he loves me, even though I'm a pain in the ass 90% of the time. I'm writing from the house he built for me a house that's hard to leave. He tried to sell this house once, but when he changed his mind, he threatened his potential buyers with a gun. Please help me. Should I get a restraining order? Yours truly, Allie. So, Julia, would love your reactions and and kind of your thoughts initially of analyzing or looking at Noah and Allie's relationship and some of the things that we mentioned in in that letter or or email, I guess is probably yeah. the more up to date. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, one of the things I kind of, that kind of stood out to me about Allie's letter is that she's kind of coming from an approach where she's not totally sure if the behavior is alarming or if she should be concerned. So every now and then we get questions from people who are like, I don't know if this is domestic violence. And so they, you know, they, they give us a little bit of information about what they're experiencing, but they're not totally sure if it's abuse. And, you know, one of the things we try to do to validate validating people on our hotline is that what is considered domestic violence by like the field and a domestic violence advocate might look different than what the law considers domestic violence. Cause mm-hmm. the, the legal qualifications are going to be very specific and they're often going to be kind of narrow, unfortunately, but we um, you know, as advocates think about domestic violence as, you know, a pattern of behavior to try to maintain power and control over a partner And you can see that in a lot of ways. There's so many different types of abuse. There's emotional abuse. There's, you know, psychological abuse. There's gaslighting. There's um, financial abuse. And not all of that is covered in the law, unfortunately. That was one of the first things that struck me about Allie's note was that she was like, oh, I think things are great, but also he's a little scary. And so, um, so I would really start off with like validating Allie and saying, you know, thank you for reaching out. I hear you. And like, I see mm-hmm. you and your concerns are valid, essentially. And then, um, you know, she kind of asked specifically if she can get a restraining order. So what we like to do when we're responding is to, you know, upfront address the question that the person has asked. 
So mm -hmm. I would start by talking to her about restraining orders in her state. And what I'm going to want to do is basically explain, I can't like tell you if you should file for one or not, because that's not my role, right. yeah. but I'm hoping that I can give you some information to help decide if that's right for you. So um, I would explain to her, I would probably just give her like a quick brief explanation of what a restraining order is. And just in case your listeners don't know, in every state has um, a domestic violence restraining order. And it's a civil court order where a judge can basically order an abuser to stop doing certain behaviors that might otherwise be legal without that mm -hmm. civil court order. So for example, you know, it's not usually legal for my ex to come within 10 feet of me. But if there's a restraining order against that person, then it could be. <laughs> the judge could say that is illegal. Like you can't do that. Yeah. So um, every state has its own set of protections that you can get in a restraining order. But most states will include things like not coming near the victim, not contacting the victim, things like that. Okay. So I would quickly explain that to Allie. Um, I would also explain the eligibility to get an order in her state. So for a domestic violence restraining order, every state is going to have a set definition of what domestic violence is. So those are going to be the types of incidents that actually qualify you to get an order. And in mm -hmm. addition to those incidents that you have to prove, you also have to prove that you have a qualifying relationship with that person. And that that can look different depending on the state. So I had to like look up where the notebook was. And um, <laughs> I think it's supposed to take place in North Carolina but they actually filmed in South Carolina or something like that was what I saw. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so basically I would tell Allie what the requirements are in North Carolina and all this relationship is on our website. So what we like to do when we're responding to people is direct them to the link on the website where they can also okay. see that information. And the reason we do that is because on our website, we cite everything. So if the person actually really wanted to go find it in the statute, they would be able yeah. to do that. Really get the information for sure. Yeah, exactly. And like really like, you know, if they needed to print out the law for some reason, they would mm -hmm. be able to find it by um, going to the website. Um, and it's also like it's a it, it shows that we're not just like making it up. You know, they can like actually go see. <laughs> we where are we're. legitimate. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> where, where, what our sources are exactly. Yeah. So um, in North Carolina, the eligibility requirements are going to be that the person has to have a personal relationship with the abuser. And I would tell Allie what that means. And then I would also tell her what types of incidents of domestic violence qualify. And I won't read every single one, but in North Carolina, it's things like causing bodily injury or attempting to cause bodily injury, placing someone in fear of imminent bodily injury. So, you know, Allie describes that he had her lay in the road and with no, you know, with disregard to whether a car was coming. Um, yeah. Harassment is included. Rape or sexual assault are also included. And then mm -hmm. um, for a personal relationship in North Carolina, I would also explain what that means to Allie. And so those are going to be relationships like a spouse or an ex-spouse or um, someone who has lived with you, but in, Nor in North Carolina, they do specify that it has to be a person of the opposite sex. So you mentioned earlier, you know, some wow, of the restrictions. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would explain that um, someone that you have a child in common with, um, it could be a current or former household member. So that might be a little bit broader if you have, you know, mm -hmm. someone of the same sex who's a household member that might qualify. Yeah. And then you can also qualify if you are a dating partner, but 
again, it says of the opposite sex. So there can be some limits depending on um, the relationship that the person has with the abuser. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that I would do for Allie's situation is I would also link her to where she can reach out to a lawyer in her state. We have those resources on our website. I would also let her know where she could find a domestic violence advocate in her state if she needed some additional emotional support or getting help connected to resources or anything like that. And we also have um, a safety planning page on our website. So I'd probably link her there so she can see that as well. Yeah. But, you know, Allie's letter really kind of highlights that a lot of times like abuse seems like really romantic in the beginning when it's like so intense and the abuser's like all about you. And like, you know, it, it, uh, we always say that abusive relationships don't start off with like a punch because why Mm -hmm. would you ever go on a second date? So no one's abusive on the first date. Exactly. Exactly. So like, you know, all of this intensity at the beginning, yeah, it could be, could be a red flag. Yeah, sure. which yeah. which brings me to one instance that I'd love to discuss with you and we can kind of transition more into like your analysis from like both a, a legal perspective but not necessarily like needing to provide uh, expertise over email but like your analysis from, you know, your experience of Allie and and Noah's relationship and um one particular moment in talking about being, you know, abusive on the first date Disclosure about me, I used to love The Notebook. It was the only Nicholas Sparks book movie that I ever had interest in. I love Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams. I thought it was a great movie. And in preparation for for this episode, too, I rewatched it. And one scene is that first scene where they meet each other. I'm Noel Calhoun. So? I would really like to take you out. Fred, do you mind? Where he like jumps onto a ferris wheel get down no you're gonna kill yourself no cut it out well you go what no 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 hey pat she just told you why not i don't know because i don't want to and kind of threatens taking his own life if she doesn't go out with him all right well you leave me no other choice then Oh my god! Oh, I'm a king, no, stop going around. What are you doing? Oh, I'm gonna ask you one more time. Will you? Or will you not go out with me? God damn, my head's slipping. You grabbed the fire, you idiot! Not until she agrees. Oh, uh, go out with him, honey. Okay, okay, fine. I'll go out with you. Well, don't do me any favors. No, no, I want to. You want? It. Yes. You want? It. Say it. I want to go out with you. Say it again. I want to go out with you. All right, all right, we'll go out. I'd love to like to hear just your analysis of that. Like, how did we, how did we miss that? <laughs> like, that is a terrible. I would have had a heart attack if I were Allie. <laughs> like, oh my god, what do I do with this person? Yeah, and I, it's like I'm almost not the best person to say because I'm totally in the same boat as you. I loved this movie. I, I didn't even rewatch it to talk about it because I watched it so many times when I was younger. I loved it, and up until the like. Probably in law school, I was still like watching it and telling people. I mean, I've I've been out of law school for a long time, but but like, right? I really loved this movie. Yeah, so, oh, I'm in that same boat with them. Yeah, yes, it absolutely thought it was so romantic. But you're totally right. Even in that first scene, you know, and and this is like an um, t- typical emotional abuse tactic to threaten to harm yourself if the victim 
won't do or your partner won't do what you're asking of them. Um, yeah. So it's basically like from the beginning, we see these like real red flags with Noah's behavior. And then, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's throughout because, you know, the, the scene that Allie writes in about, you know, the, on their date and then, you know, going, laying down in the street and like, you know, all the adrenaline he's trying to produce, make it seem like things oh, are just wow. so exciting <laughs> and romantic. Come here, I want to say something. What are you doing? Just come on. You're going to get run over. By all the cars? You could try it if you wanted to. No. Why not? Because, I don't know, we just get up. That's your problem. You know that? You don't do what you want. Okay. And what happens if a car comes? You die. What? Just relax. Just trust. You need to learn how to trust. <laughs> and then when he reconnects with her later in the movie, um, mm-hmm. You know, there's like kind of like all this stalking type behavior that's going on with the way that, you know, they're searching for each other. It's like, yeah, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of like gross stuff that yeah. it's, it's easy to miss when it's packaged as like this love story. Yeah. And when it's between two very beautiful people. Oh, absolutely. And who yeah. who, who seemingly really love each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it what's the the greatest irony too is Ryan Gosling is the one actor my abusive ex was told he looks like. Oh. Um so like rewatching that I'm like, "Oh, yeah, this is hitting a little different now." Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, this absolutely. makes a lot of sense. Um but even I I had kind of noticed like there was one scene too he like runs into her on the street. You remember me? How could I forget? Yeah, I wanted to clear that up with you because I'm really sorry about that. It was a really stupid thing to do. <laughs> Call up the Ferris wheel to talk to somebody, but I had to be next to you. How do you even know where she is? How did you find her? Right. Which feels a little stalking. And then it's his language afterward. And when I see something that I like, I got it. I love it. <laughs> I, go, I mean, I go crazy for okay, it. What are you talking about? Well, you. <laughs> I could be fun if you want. Pensive. Uh, smart, uh, superstitious, brave, and uh, I could be light on my feet. I could be whatever you want. You just tell me what you want and I'll be that for you. When I see something I like, like I I want it. Like I got mm-hmm. it. I got to have it. I'll be whatever you want. And like, while I can see what they were trying to do of being like, oh my God, someone like wants you this much that they'll like, but that's all, that's like kind of, creepy like not oh, yes absolutely. like not cool to say to someone you yeah and and their whole like this is never over exchange i wrote you every day for a year you me? yes it wasn't over it still isn't over like as if there's no agency for someone to say no actually this is over yeah yeah it, it is it is creepy yeah, it's a lot. Are there are there any other like instances that really stand out to you? Like if if you were to meet 
you know, Allie and, you know, this were a real relationship, like, what would you point out or kind of think in your head, like, okay, like, that checks that box, that checks that box of like, analyzing their relationship? Yeah, I mean, I think we cover, or we, we touched on a lot of the things. Um, I, I do still like kind of get hung up on, on when they reconnect and, and just kind of like, the hiding away and the secrecy of those first few days. And I think like her husband doesn't know where she is. I kind of forget the exact, or her fiance. I don't think they were actually Mm -hmm. married. Yeah. Yeah. Hello? Hey there. You know, I feel like an idiot because I called your hotel about a hundred (laughs) times. I'm fine. Anything you want to tell me? No. No? No. Yeah, just kind of like the isolation of it is another thing that I would like really point out. Like, that's not healthy. <laughs> yeah. And like, and and the triangulation with her parents who have concern with him and how he, you know, really kind of tries to isolate her from them as well. Go. Go. I lost you once. I think I could do it again if I thought it's what you really wanted. But don't you take the easy way out. What easy way? There is no easy way. No matter what I do, somebody gets hurt. Would you stop thinking about what everyone wants? Stop thinking about what I want. What he wants, what your parents want. What do you want? What do you want? It's not that simple. What do you want? But you know, if, if Allie, like, if I was practicing legal services and Allie showed up in my office with her question, you know, I would I would point out that a lot of these behaviors are unhealthy, at least, at least, or mm-hmm. or could be concerning, or could be things that we describe as abuse in certain situations. Um, but then, you know, I would try to kind of like be realistic about whether or not she would end up getting a restraining order in her state. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like the push and pull, I think, of the legal analysis, you know, unfortunately, that you really want to validate that someone is having concerns about the health of their relationship or if there mm-hmm. are red flags there, but that not everything is going to qualify for yeah. legal recourse. Yeah. Yeah. Some things won't be solvable via the law. It exactly. might be more of like counseling or trying to, you know, find her a therapist to, you know, to have help in that sense. Yeah. And that can be really unfortunate because for someone like Noah, who isn't going to back off and maybe, maybe a restraining order wouldn't make him back off, but um, if he he lost her once, maybe he can do it again. Right. Exactly. And so, so like, it's, it it kind of makes it feel like, like it's on Allie to get the resources that she needs to maybe heal or process what she's gone through, but there's no like legal I, and and I'm not saying no, that Allie right, but I'm not yeah. and I'm not even saying that Allie wouldn't get a protection order in her state, but those are the types of like challenges that mm-hmm. you know sometimes you truly are experiencing something that is harmful or scary, and you might not be able to get one. Yeah, yeah, which is very it's like it's frightening for for people who have experienced things like that. Right, and we we see that on the hotline too because people will ask they'll describe their situation and they'll say you know, how's the judge going to, what's the judge going to decide? Or, you know, is the abuser going to get custody? And we have to be like, I really have no idea what the judge is going to decide. There's like, yeah, so much discretion and judges are human. I get that. But there's, there's (laughs) also just like so much discretion um, that, you know, and, and, and it's true that it's like, 
varies from state to state that it, it's it's a prediction that you really can't can't make even even a licensed attorney in their state might say like this is what i've seen this judge do but who knows what that judge is going to do next friday you know you can't know yeah could wake up on the a different side of the bed not even exactly. a right or wrong one they just feel different that day exactly um, which is oh, that's that's a lot too um and I, I also want to to bring up a couple other aspects of, of the behavior, at least that we see within the notebook, because this is like so lauded to be one of the most beautiful love stories and like, you know, everything else. And I'm curious if, if there's anything in particular um, about that movie that you think people really miss, like that they really buy into and think is like, oh, that's super romantic, but actually is like, really toxic like from your from your point of view if there's anything you can can think of that you see in the film that gets kind of like people react wrongly to or in a way (laughs) that they're not recognizing the toxicity or abusive aspect of it yeah I mean I feel like we've talked about a few of them about the ferris wheel about slaying in the street about um you know how like she's never like Noah's never not around that first summer that they're together um, about the confrontation with the parents about them reconnecting and, and the isolation from her family and her, uh, and her fiance. I did not consider that. That is yeah. so like illuminating too. Yeah. One thing that we didn't talk about is kind of like this, what I think is seen as a grand gesture with this house. After seeing Allie that day, something inside Noah snapped. He got the notion into his head that if he restored the old house where they had come that night, Allie would find a way to come back to it. But there's something about that that feels manipulative to me. <laughs> yes, and obsessive. Yeah, that, like, absolutely. That like he could never let it go. And um, and then, you know, working on the house and then, you know, they reconnect while he's still working on it. And it just feels like this power play a little bit that like, yeah. I promised you this when we were younger and then here it's happening. So you kind of have to be with me now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I did this for you. So now you owe me. Right. Right. Yeah. And and maybe, maybe if it was just like everything else was like really healthy and roses in their relationship and he built her house. I wouldn't say anything about that, but it's just the, the whole kind of history of their relationship. I don't know. I, I, I think that that, also kind of just makes me feel a little weird. (laughs) Yeah. And then to also, and this is the first time that it struck me as weird too, of this very specific point in time when she comes back to visit him and they're eating in the room where they almost slept together for the Mm -hmm. same time. And I'm like, that's a, like in, in reality world, if I went to like an ex's house and they were like, oh, remember this room? And I have a wedding ring on my finger that was given to me by a different person. I'd be like, this feels inappropriate. And it felt kind of manipulative to bring her into that house. Yeah. And, you know, we, we sometimes think about kind of like the cycle of abuse that sometimes happen. It doesn't, it doesn't happen in every relationship and it doesn't always work out this way, but you know, sometimes we see a really explosive, abusive incident couple like then followed by this like honeymoon period of apologizing and then acting like really, really kindly and then Love exploding. Bombing. Yeah, exactly. And then exploding again. They didn't agree on much. 
fact, they rarely agreed on anything. They fought all the time. And they challenged each other every day. But despite their differences, they had one important thing in common. They were crazy about each other. So, like, I think you can see that a little bit with, with the way Noah behaves, with all these grand gestures. And then if, if she does something that kind of suggests he's not the center of her universe, there's, like, an, an outburst. Yeah, or like he, even just some of his behavior and and language of how he characterizes their relationship of like, Would you just stay with me? Stay with you? What for? Look at us, we're already fighting. Well, that's what we do. We fight. You tell me when I'm being an arrogant son of a bitch, and I tell you when you're being a pain in the ass. Which you are, 99% of the time. I'm not afraid to hurt your feelings. They have like a two-second rebound rate, and you're back doing the next pain in the ass thing. So what? So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. And we're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you forever, you and me, every day. <laughs> and I tell you when you're being a, a pain in the ass, and right. I you are 99% of the time, like, oh, I'm so glad that the 1% of the time I'm with you, I'm right. not a pain in the <laughs> like yeah. that's that's not what you want to hear from a, a partner yeah. and I think people see the the passion in that moment and forget really what it feels like to be on the receiving end of that passion it's very very overwhelming oh absolutely there's another aspect too that to me kind of complicates their relationship of of when they get older and this is a, yeah. a spoiler alert for people who haven't seen the ending but Duke or whatever is with Allie, who has lost her memory or suffering from dementia. And and this is something that even internally, like myself and um, our producers have talked about of his behavior when he, it's just like, what is, what is normal with his behavior? And you might not have the expertise around like a partner who has memory loss. Right. But it like, it's just the most uncomfortable part of that film is when she loses her memory again after they've started dancing and mm-hmm. she you know gets so agitated they have to sedate her and it almost feels like this they have such a dependence on each other's lives and such they're so intertwined that it harms them more like they they want to die together like wait a yeah. second you have children like you have like you don't want to live for them and you're just nobody thinks about that because it's so beautiful no I, th- I think you're totally right I I think it I think that's kind of why you walk away from that movie. Like, oh, wow, what a beautiful love story. They end up together in the end. They die together, old, like, oh, how romantic. But yeah, I mean, I think if you if you really, like, look at it through the whole pattern, like, it, it there's a lot of, like, uncomfortable things there, too. You know, she's, um, she, her, she's lost her memory. So he kind of, like, and we see... I, you know, sometimes elder abuse is like its own kind of separate sphere within domestic violence. Um, because right, it doesn't yeah. always happen by, by a partner or a family member. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a random caretaker. But but there's definitely, you know, overlap between elder abuse and, and domestic violence, um, depending on who the aggressor is. And, and no matter who the aggressor is, the elder is often in a very vulnerable position. So there's like an intimacy there that can be really uncomfortable to see that person being harmed um and so I think we see a little bit of that with Allie but also this like you know Noah has kind of the power to kind of like rewrite what history was so even if like 
she has had time to reflect on the fact that like some things were not not rosy or not appropriate like he can kind of reframe that for her because she's coming like in and out of lucid memory you know as Mm -hmm. as she's older so yeah I think I think it does complicate the story and it, it, it but it adds a layer of complexity and also like discomfort when you really kind of think about it a little bit more critically yeah it's it's and it's just like his his obsession with it too like I've I've personally had you know a a family member not a partner Mm -hmm. who has lost memory like my great aunt had dementia and it feels like his obsessiveness has carried with him into his old age to consistently be by her side and it's like it was such an interesting exchange when his family comes to visit because one of their his daughters their daughters asked like this is crazy you live in here yeah you know we'll all help with mom we we can uh, take shifts visiting look guys that's my sweetheart in there i'm not leaving her this is my home now you live in here? Like, yeah. well, your mom does. What are you talking Like, that was just, like, a little weird. Like, this family might have a couple things they need to chat through. But, like, that obsessiveness or, like, the number of letters he, he sent, the number of times he's, like, continually going over and over and over the story. Right. And it almost, it feels like it's, it should be seen as harmful, but it's seen as a way to express love or how, that's how it's been interpreted. Yeah, and it's like she's kind of at her most vulnerable state. So he's yeah. like his efforts to really control the whole relationship and control her. Like yeah. he can really put it to work in that moment because, you know, she's old and, you know, physically maybe can't stand up to him. Also, you know, mentally needs assistance. So, so yeah, he's really kind of has the upper hand there. Yeah. And it like... I think a lot of things are kind of swept under the rug or even laughed at when it comes to Noah's behavior. Like going back to the house, the fact he threatened to shoot multiple people yes. <laughs> and when they're trying to buy his house. It's like yeah. this, I think there wasn't, there isn't an exception or there wasn't room made in in the narrative to accept that like maybe Noah has a couple issues. Oh, like for sure. Yeah. Maybe he needs to see a therapist. He also yeah. watched his friend die in like World War II. That right. was totally just oh, okay. Finn's dead now. Let's right. like God, this man. Yeah, yeah. I think uh yes, Noah needs some support as well. <laughs> but you yeah. know, yeah, I, th- I actually think that that's probably true about many yeah. abusers that they're also harmed yes. or, or traumatized people. And so, you know, that's another kind of um, vulnerability in the system is that there's often not a lot of resources for, um, for abusers in, yeah. who like maybe do want to seek help. Yeah. And wouldn't want to like write 365 letters or, (laughs) or work on a house obsessively for years. Yeah. And you know, you see that kind of like the letters, I think a lot about like teenagers or young adults who they have their partner or the person that they're have a crush on texting them around the clock. And they think that like, well, that's normal. Like I'm always on my phone or like, that's just, he it's just romantic, but like, that's too, that can be too much, you know, that can be mm-hmm. a form of abuse as, as well, or a form of harassment, depending on 
what the interaction looks like. But that's what those yeah. 365 letters remind me of. Yeah. And like to reference to another character, like to me, it feels so evil that her mom hid those from her, but then also ends up showing her like, look, I'm just like you. Tell me about the letters, mother. Is it true? Yes. You watch me cry myself to sleep for months and months, and you never said anything. How could you do that? I'm sorry. Sorry. Yes, You're I am. Sorry. I am because sorry. Because of you, my entire life is ruined. Okay, yes, I stole your letters. It was wrong. But stop being dramatic and at least take some of the responsibility. You couldn't have mentioned that earlier, right. you know, so she doesn't feel so alone. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, is there, you know, anything else that you would want to tell someone who loves the notebook and thinks that it's, you know, if if their partner's a bird, they have to be a bird? And, <laughs> and you know, what would you, if you were to say someone who wanted to make the case that their relationship is perfectly healthy and there's nothing wrong, kind of, what would you advise people of while to think of or consider while they're watching the film? I mean, I would say listen to this conversation <laughs> and then rewatch the film. And I, I mean, I, I would think it'd be really hard to like have someone point out how like something is is clearly harming or causing distress to another human being. Um, yes. And and I, I actually don't think that Allie hides that in the film, that like mm-hmm. some of these actions are, are really causing her distress or that they're that she's seeking that some of them are seeing that some of them are problematic. So just that alone, I think should shape our perspective. Mm-hmm. Like we want to see it as a, as a love story or romantic, but, but the actual person who's on the receiving end of this like intensity is concerned in some time, yeah. in some moments. So like we should, we should validate that and honor that. And so to really like, try to to have a different lens if you if you were going to rewatch this movie mm-hmm. um it, like maybe it, maybe it's kind of hard to if you loved it growing up and you've seen it a hundred times maybe it's kind of hard to listen to this conversation and just be like oh yeah I see that but watch it again yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you might kind of be able to pick those things out yeah it'll become a whole different movie <laughs> I hope so and then and then watch Twilight with that same lens <laughs> oh man that is my that's our next target is oh I can't wait for that yeah there's so much room for improvement for oh, in, in how we can we can showcase relationships and yeah the biggest issue with me is you know I never it doesn't bother me to depict domestic violence or anything like that or, or abuse in film it just needs to be depicted right and labeled right yes and I think that there wasn't any consider like someone needs to talk to Nicholas Sparks because I don't think he really realizes what healthy relationship should should look like at least yes. based off of the notebook well, I, I think that's a, a trope. <laughs> I don't think I don't think the notebook is an isolated incident for Nicholas Sparks. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So but I yeah, I think you're right that like, you know, of course it's important to actually raise awareness about domestic violence and dating violence. And that's done through media a lot of times, but um if it's packaged as desirable in a love story, mm-hmm. we're not really we're missing the point. You know, we're not really yeah. accomplishing what we need to. Yeah. Yeah, which is definitely a theme of like packaging that aspect into a love story. Right. 
Sorry to all of your notebook fans out there. We can't, we have to put a stamp on like bad or unhealthy on, on this relationship. I think we've kind of cleared that. Maybe we could like start a notebook recovery support group since we both loved it too. <laughs> oh my God, I would love that. Of like, how, like let's rewrite the story, but make it better. Yes. <laughs> like, make Noah not abusive. You're not so cocky now, are you? <laughs> I'm not usually like this. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. you are. To wrap up, thank you so much, Julia, for coming on, providing your expertise um, and your fantastic film analysis too. <laughs> and to to kind of put an end to things, we'd you know please let us know where can we learn more about the work at Women's Law, learn more about the work um, that you do, and any other resources that you would suggest for listeners, for survivors, for anybody who wants to learn and educate themselves more um, around domestic violence and abuse. Yeah, thank you so much again for having me and for this conversation. I think it was really great and fun to chat with you. Um, yes, anyone can find us at womenslaw.org. That's W-O-M-E-N-S-L-A-W.org, um, Women's Law. And there you can find all of our state-specific legal information, our referrals. You can also very prominently on the homepage find the link to our email hotline. If you have a question that you need to ask a lawyer, please feel free to do that there. Um, you can also find the National Network to End Domestic Violence at nnedv.org. And all of our projects are featured on that website um, and all of our great resources are there too. So we definitely you know, would love for people to reach out to us if they have more questions. Awesome, well, thank you so much, Julia. We so appreciate it. Thank you. So for today's Song of Solace, I have um, a little bit of a hidden gem, a song that maybe uh, not too many people have heard of. And it was introduced to me by a very good friend of mine in college, actually during my relationship, and it is one of her best friends who is actually singing. So I do have a pretty close connection to this song. It's called Crazy by Maybe April. For a very long time, I had felt that I could just take out the really specific um, details in the song and plug in ones from my relationship and it would just read perfectly. Even just like starts out saying we've never been that great at timing, we fell in love so young, one of us is always smiling while the other bites their tongue. Um, and I could walk you through my relationship with, with Josh and be like, yeah, we were really young. Um, we started to kind of like each other or became friends when we were dating other people, like not good at timing. One person is always like biting back something or as one person's upset and the other is acting okay and just kind of like that emotional chaos and it like it goes on and I wouldn't necessarily want to equate like being mentally ill so 
this is very much like a colloquial use of crazy, but saying like you act crazy when you feel caged, you like getting crazy in my bed, like any time that my partner would feel caged or um, he would also say crazy things that get in my head, which is the next line. It just felt like I could just take out like you are crazy about writing songs. I would say you are crazy about like playing the guitar um, or like it, I, it just it felt like a plug and play for me almost like a Mad Lib that I could fill out and it still felt so, so real to me and the way that it's sung is, it is a little sad. I admit I like kind of maybe cried a little when I was listening to it earlier um, and reading the lyrics in, in preparation of this, but because it just, it feels so real and I so appreciate those songs that are very, what feels to be very written from a personal experience. Um, and even if the small details don't match up, I can still plug in my ideas and it speaks to, to what I felt and you get that, that kind of rush of, of empathy from, from the songwriter. So um, very much check out Crazy by Maybe April and their other work. And thanks so much for listening. Take care. episode for this month. If you want more of this podcast, please follow us on social media on all channels. You can find us at loveisnotpod, that's P-O-D. Please remember to rate us and subscribe wherever you're listening, where you get your podcasts. It really helps us get noticed. Thanks so much for listening to Love Is Not, the show where we discuss what love is by exploring what love is not. Love Is Not is produced by Andrea Raby, Adam Joel, and me, Sydney Bauer. We are edited this month by Corinne Chapman. Our content and marketing team is Regina Emiliano, Tamara Thomas, Lupe Juarez, and Aranza Torres. Our online videos are produced by Corinne Chapman. If you or someone you know may be experiencing abuse, we encourage you to reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can go to their website at thehotline.org and give them a call or even have a live chat.